Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined with Connor and Steve. Dude, dude. Today is May 5th, 2019. Um, if you're listening to this, thank you for subscribing to us. We really appreciate the support. We're going to keep this thing going. So, uh, have you guys encountered anything new or interesting this week? Oh, I got the Denzel Curry uh, kick going on for me right now. I've been jamming to his Bulls on Parade cover and uh, his new song, Black Balloons, first single off his new album, Taboo. Yeah, you were showing me that. It's really, really good. Yeah, I'm, it actually I, really is. I, I never thought like hearing one song could turn me into like a fan. Yeah. When I, I heard him through the Bulls on Parade cover, and then I stumbled upon that song because it was like just coming out when I heard it, and I was like... Holy shit, this is good as hell. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, you were saying, uh, you guys were saying it sounded like more like 90s hip hop than yeah. more recent it stuff. It sounded like a throwback. Like on that. his verses and actually being able to hear like his yeah. lyrical content, because that was always a big thing about like 90s hip hop. Yeah. Even like even early 2000s hip hop. Yeah, but know, even the grooves and stuff, that's it was like saying. very yeah. like throwback feel. Yep. Nice. Yep. What you got for us, Bill? I just recently saw Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. Oh. Especially with Endgame coming out. It was a smart move. Yeah, very, very smart move. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the Marvel movies, I can't say that it was the best one. Yeah, I it was that. definitely in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's it, it was just a good way to tie in, you know, this huge character into the Marvel Indeed, Cinematic yeah, Universe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not going to spoil it for anybody because it's still a fairly new movie. Mm-hmm. But um, if you haven't got into any Marvel movies, this would be the one to watch. It's a it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of action. It's just a all around good movie. All right. Well, what do you got for us, man? So, you know, in the site of music, I uh, recently discovered a black metal band Norway. Uh, the band is Dark Throne. They are releasing a new album. It actually comes out May thirty first. The uh, name of the album is Old Star. They just released a uh, song off of it. It's called The Hardship of the Scots. You guys aren't really like black metal guys, but this is actually a sound like Dark Throne and, you know, Mayhem, all those earlier bands had kind of the same traditional black metal sound. This band is more of like a doom metal, stoner metal, slower, grungier vibe to their metal sound. I like, I like yellow metal. I can't say I'm That's typically what somebody would say about who doesn't listen to black metal. I listen to purple metal and yellow metal and green metal, you know. I can't call myself a fan of Dark Throne because yeah. I don't know any of their songs by name or anything. But from what I have heard from Dark Throne, I am a fan. Yeah, it's, it's actually very good. I mean, a lot of black metal, you really get into it for the ambience and like the sound quality. It's yeah. just a total different sound than that pure production you typically see. On this day in music history... On this day in music history, May 5th, 1900, the Billboard, which was later just called Billboard, began their weekly publication instead of monthly publications after six years. It's kind of crazy that it's been backdated that far to 1900. Yeah. Who even thought people listened to music back then? 
enough to actually be, you know, like ranked. In 1968, <laughs> Buffalo Springfield performed their final concert in Long Beach. It was after various drug-related arrests and lineup changes. The group broke up. Stephen Stills went on to form the supergroup Crosby, Stills, and Nash with David Crosby of the Birds and Graham Nash of the Hollies. Neil Young launched a solo career and later joined Stills in Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young in 1969. Uh, Richie Fure, along with Jim Messina, went on to form the country rock band Poco. Yeah, definitely take CSMY over Poco. Yeah? Yeah. One year later, in 1969, Stevie Wonder met with President Nixon at the White House. Here we go. There's another one meeting the president, and just so happens to be Nixon again. He was uh, promoting his 11th album at 19 at that time, My Sherry Amour. Wow. Featuring a cover of The Doors, Light My Fire. That's awesome. Yeah. That's 19 f- years old, man. That's fire. 11 albums. He had already had 16 top 40 hits. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Including one number one. Could you imagine being, you know, like seven, eight years younger than us and releasing 11 albums and then meeting the fucking president? <laughs> like, we are so far off of that. Like, Honestly, if I had 16 top 40 hits at 19, I better be meeting the damn president. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> he probably should have been meeting the president when he was like fucking 13 with like five number, like 10 hits or whatever. 17 years later, it was announced that Cleveland, Ohio had been chosen as a city where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would have been built or would be built. Um, the other considerations were Philadelphia, mm. Memphis, New York City, Detroit, and Cincinnati. Damn, man. They really dodged a bolt with Detroit. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had been doing inductions since 86, but just didn't have like a facility or a home or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even though it it was uh, announced in 86, the groundbreaking ceremony didn't take place until June 7th of 93. Oh, wow. Wow. So they just announced it, and then that was obviously how long construction and everything took for it to finally. Well, no. Groundbreaking is, you know, the. the, Just the start. Yeah, just the start. It was finished. It was finished two years later, September. First of 95, uh, the ribbon was being cut by an ensemble that included Yoko Ono, yeah. uh, Little Richard, among others, before a crowd of 10,000 plus people. Damn. The following night, an all-star concert was held at the stadium. Um, it featured Chuck Berry, Bob Dylan, Al Green, Jerry Lee Lewis, Aretha Franklin, Bruce Springsteen, Iggy Pop, John Fogarty, Damn. John Mellencamp, and many others. Talk about a dream festival. That would have been awesome. You know how cool that would have been to see that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's even thinking consideration-wise just because of where we live. Dude, if that if that uh, place had been in New York, even, but Philly. The, the Nirvana Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction was in New York. Yeah. I don't know why, yeah. but huh. it was. That's it was what they, the they do in Madison right? Square Garden. It was at the Barclays Center That's what they where, the, where the Nets play. Yeah, they, okay. per- they performed, right? Who was on vocals? Yeah, that might be why. Was uh, that Paul they McCartney? Had, they, they had no. Uh, no. They had gir- all girls. They had yeah. Lord. Joan they Jett. Had Joan Jett was the one. that yeah. Saint Vincent. Yeah. And but that was cool. Yeah. In 1995, Stephen Adler was arranged on a felony count of possession of heroin, oh. as well as two misdemeanor drug charges. Big surprise. We got a Guns N' Roses dude getting arrested for heroin. (laughs) Well, Steven Adler had been out of the band at that time for five years, I think. He was already replacing Matt Sorrell. Ex-Guns N' Roses member (laughs) arrested for heroin possession. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? 
it was it was very soon after that though that he wound up getting a stroke and he's still kind of fucked up from that yeah. to this day That's i mean a truly surprising headline Four years later, in 1999, Garth Brooks was named Artist of the Decade at the 34th Annual Academy of Country Music Awards. Friends in low places, my ass. <laughs> Not so low at that point in time. I don't know how you guys feel about Garth I was just going to say I, I really I mean, enjoy his music. So I'm not a fan of Genre-wise, dude, I, like, you talk about like Zach Wilde a lot, Bill. Yeah. I mean, you, you do enjoy like the country aspect and stuff. Yeah. And Garth Brooks, I can understand he was a huge figure. Like, insanely huge like, figure it just and but here's the thing i can I, dude i can get down with classical i can get down with like 90s earlier hip-hop i can get down with like conscious modern hip-hop um i can get down with black metal death metal like whatever you know it the country scene just it doesn't it just doesn't do it for me and i never once can disregard a genre or an artist just on popular vote like i won't hate nickelback just because everyone hates fucking nickelback i will not like country because it's like Nobody likes country, and if you like country, you're like weird type. Then shit. you're me. Yeah, Do you, I does mean, anybody uh, like Lyle Love it? Anybody ever heard Lyle Love it? No. I've heard the name. He's like the latest country dude I can get down with. Yeah, he's like 80s. Yeah. Here's here's my thing with country music. At some point in the early 2000s, there was a shift in country music where it wasn't country anymore. Largely it was, inspired by Garth Brooks, I feel like. No, it was largely inspired by Shania Twain. Well, where it like turned like a direction for pop. Like, pop. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. she like affiliated with Garth Brooks somehow? No. Didn't they have like the same producer or something? Mutt Lang? No. No, he didn't do Garth Brooks shit. Okay, mm-hmm. well. Yeah, but you don't you don't also equate the idea of like Garth Brooks kind of being like the Van Halen to open up the doors for for like the you know the hair metal scene. Well, like Garth Brooks kind of opened up that wave of like super commercial. Yeah, well, you have to remember too. There was a lot of other big names at the time, like Tim McGraw, Alan yeah. Jackson. Like they were all very very heavy not hitters. Not as big as Garth. Dude, definitely not as big as Garth. Is, yeah, dude. But that's like saying Pearl Jam versus fucking Seven Mary Three and fucking Sponge. <laughs> like, yeah. Become cumbersome. <laughs> no, I, I get it, but I, I just see there's a definitive line with country music in the early 2000s to where it took a turn to more of a pop direction, and I feel like that's where a lot of the distaste for country music comes from because okay. they, they associate it with all these stupid drunk kids and their Big ass lifted trucks and their fake work boots and their flannels and their cowboy hats and all the bullshit and yep. they think that they're country but they're not. Yeah, I feel like you know before that point in time, country music was actually listenable, and you're not going to listen to some Florida Georgia line or yeah. uh, who's another one, Blake Shelton. Well, it's it's just funny because you talk about the image. I mean, that's essentially everything with like the rock and roll world, the metal world, you know, especially because like you see people nowadays, you know, just wearing things as a fashion statement as opposed to like the idea that certain music genres are like a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, and like the country scene, a lot of people, especially prior to that time, like were real country fans. And then you're talking about the progression of the music of what it created to be like an image in itself. Like XTU, bro. How many fucking people just go to that? For just to go to get drunk yep. and look at chicks in short skirts and you know dudes with their shirts off. See, it's kind of funny because around this time period, you know, uh, ninety eight through two thousand or whatever, my father worked for American Airlines in Philadelphia. He was a luggage handler, right. and um, on the fourth of July, he had to work a, a commuter jet that was leaving from Philadelphia. And who walks out on the tarmac other than? 
Garth Brooks. Oh, wow. oh shit. My dad told me that Garth Brooks was probably the nicest guy he's ever met. I, I don't doubt that at he all. He came out, normal yeah. people clothes. He wanted to know everyone's name. He wanted to talk to them. Yeah, that's cool. Stood for a couple pictures. If the story holds true, he actually sang a song to my mom over the phone on the tarmac at Philadelphia International Airport. Yeah, oh. I could see Garth Brooks being that dude that in like the 80s, 90s was like, hello, airport worker friend. Would you like a free $600 brand new compact display to play my music on? <laughs> like, yeah. That's the only way you're going to be able to listen Garth to my music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, like I said, I don't disagree. Um, you know, obviously in that scene, I, I, I'll never like go out and hate on country. I just, it's just not my thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, not everyone's bag. Thing. I get it. Um, but again, when you do see the people that really get hyped about it, especially with that song, Old Town Road that just came out, mm-hmm. it's like bringing out all these country fans that are either upset or like loving the cross between these two things. And even like with Nelly and Tim McGraw when they did their thing like back, you know, yeah, way years back. ago. Um, and it's cool. But again, it's just like the image. Music news. Kanye West has a new church. Uh, the 41-year-old rapper is hosting what he calls Sunday services. They're exclusive musical worship gatherings for the rich and famous, attended by anyone from Katy Perry and Diplo to Tyler, the creator. Uh, Gia Tolentino from The New Yorker has said he is the church. He is the text of the sermon. It's his songs. He is the worship. He is creating a church in himself and selling it, really. He had exclusive merchandise for crazy prices. $50 for a pair of socks, all the way to a $225 sweatshirt with the words Sunday Service Mountain across it. $225 isn't that exorbitant for a hoodie if it's from Kanye West himself. Yeah, but it's probably made on like a Fruit of the Loom fabric and it's just a print on there. You know what I mean? That's how they get it. It definitely doesn't feel like $225. What's a better deal? $50 for tube socks or $225 for a hoodie? Do you wear tube socks? I mean, uh, like, they go up to like my ankles at a tube sock. It's like, I, I do. I don't even know. Yeah, I wear tube but, socks. I, mean, I don't wear, wear the ones like, that. I wear tube socks for yeah. work. So could you? I don't wear socks that stop under my ankle. Like, yo, I got these tube socks from Coachella. They're Kanye West. Well, they're for people who wear shorts and Nikes and it's all tube socks to look stylish. No, they wear their Adidas. They're Kanye West Yeezy Adidas. Oh, uh, right, Adidas. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> The Prince Estate has announced plans to release another album of previously unreleased tracks recorded between 1981 and 1991. The album, titled Originals, will be available June 7th exclusively on Tidal, uh, with physical copies, downloads, and wider streaming services following on June 21st. Huh. That's awesome. Just when you thought he was done. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> That's insane. What's well, this? The hologram? When he died, I heard there was something crazy, like 30 hours of unreleased music or Just something like, like yeah, that recorded, uh, music um yeah that's awesome because i dude I, I do like when they do this with artists where they release i mean i don't really treat it as like listening to an album is more so like listening to the opportunity to hear stuff you never heard before I, I don't like a lot of people will even tell you like they do that kind of for the money aspect like they're yeah. releasing songs just to get people interested and keep the artist relevant but at the same time i just love the opportunity to hear songs and things even just like like B-rated recordings, just underground. Yeah. Like, like when uh, uh, Nirvana did the whole, you know, with the lights out compilation oh, yeah. thing, and you got to hear so many raw recordings of original songs, and it's just like the early versions of it. I, I love that. Best-selling box set of all time. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. There's so many good things on there, dude, and I'm, I'm excited for that. It, it, this does have the demo of uh, Nothing Compares to You, which will probably be a good listen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Spotify removes blood on the dance floor's music for prohibited content. Spotify removed every song by the electronic group Blood on the Dance Floor over the weekend. The company confirmed to Billboard and Pitchfork. They confirmed that the band's songs were removed because of their content and not because of sexual abuse allegations against Jesus David Torres. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just it's annoying because Blood on the Dance Floor, never heard of them. Yeah, now we they're all over them. the place. We yeah. talk about them, you know, the first week of doing this, and all of a sudden, dude, it's like the algorithm thing. I go on my Facebook, I see links Yeah, Blood on the Dance Floor all of a sudden. Like, Facebook. That shit bothers me dude i've never talked about this band never heard of them never saw a link for them now i see it fucking everywhere facebook knows that we exist dude yeah it's like there's like <laughs> when you like talk about something or even think about something all of a sudden you're getting advertisements for it and shit like that yeah Got oh hi mark yeah. <laughs> how you doing buddy um the uh what's his face uh tommy wiseau yeah <laughs> uh, britney spears released from mental health facility Ooh. Uh, Brittany reportedly returned to her Los Angeles home after completing her stay at the health treatment facility. She decided to seek professional treatment earlier this month after reportedly struggling to deal with the stress of her father's recent health crisis. Uh, sources claim the pop superstar violent voluntarily signed up for a 30 day stay at a wellness clinic, but rumors suggesting the 37 year old was being held there against her will recently emerged prompting some devotees to stage a free Britney protest in L.A. on Monday. Free Britney! So, yeah, that seems like a crack shit. Yeah, it's just, it says also, too, she has been on medication since her highly publicized breakdown over a decade ago. Um, obviously, a lot of people remember that, you know, when she shaved her head and was having a complete meltdown. Yeah. Um, Jamie Lynn said that it wasn't against her will. Britney herself shot down the allegations on Tuesday in a video message she shared with fans via Instagram. You know, it's a shame. It's like you get these R's because even after she had that breakdown like over a decade ago, then she came back and tried to get back on the scene and be relevant. You know, you even have like bands. She like, had hits after her. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like you yeah. get these R's yeah. to try to stay relevant in the well, modern music scene. And then obviously you leave out like the personal views of it of what they're currently struggling with. But even like look at like NSYNC trying to do, you know, reunion tours and things. Like no, no, that. no, no. That's not NSYNC. Hold on. Backstreet Boys. It's Backstreet Boys. Who cares? Listen. I'm not going. One of my guilty pleasures is boy bands. Jesus. Oh, my dude. Christ, dude. I, dude, I said it since what the beginning is going of this on, podcast. Dude? I'm the minority here. This is on, I, I'm the guy that likes butt rock. I'm the guy that will stand up for Nickelback Love or Creed. Love Sammy Hagar. I like Sammy Hagar. Oh, and <laughs> I particularly like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Backstreet Boys more than NSYNC. You have to think of it beyond... You think of it beyond the whole image of a boy band. I, okay. Individually, they're all incredible vocalists. You okay. have to, you at least have to admit that. Yeah, sure. they're very. Do you good listen vocalists. to opera? No. I, I would venture to guess that you'd probably uh, find some better vocalists there if you're interested. Yeah. So obviously, again, as like with the relevance of like artists trying to stay like in the spotlight and you know kind of recreate the image and you know be there i mean you have artists right that go through stages where they're able to evolve um and stay kind of true to their art then you have artists as well that kind of just like conform into this pop culture adapt their sound to what's popular to know that it's going to sell yeah you know what i mean i mean you have several artists out there who are able to do this and some of them are still around today 
um, that were able to evolve to kind of stay relevant, but didn't really lose touch of their music. You know, had you know, because like, we even talk about Metallica, like Metallica kind of did a 180 with the Black Album and kind of progressed that way. Then they released Hardwired recently, and they're trying to come back to that like sound that they had created in the 80s and it's just it's just not working for them but at I least, feel like it's a lackluster attempt. it really is dude it's just you know let's keep making money here you know Death magnetic it, is at my local record store for 499 is yeah, that a I, worthwhile venture i personally don't so think so here's the no? thing okay. there's a I'll couple tracks on, on there just for the quality of the instrumentals i mean it's it's a step up obviously since it was the next album after saint anger um, I would give it a listen just to be able to understand like the progression of where they're headed to continue because they just released Hardwired, you know, two thousand what seventeen, eighteen, eighteen was yeah. it? Because uh, what about Lulu? No, it was two thousand seventeen. Was it seventeen? Seventeen. Okay, but it, it, what it about gets, Lulu? Yeah, <laughs> dude. I, but either way, like I'm saying, I mean, and then you talk about the idea of like a sellout artist, you know, kind of artist that de-evolved, and then you got the artists that kind of evolved in their sense of musicianship. You know, yeah. so I mean, really, I I want to hear you know from you guys as well. Like, I mean, pick pick two artists, you know, one that you can say that stayed true to who they are, but they evolved in their sound. They obviously adapted with the times, but they didn't lose touch with who they were and what they were producing as an you know as a band or an artist. And then also mention another artist that you can say that at one point was you know on the top of their game, but then with the change in direction of the way music is today, totally sold out for pretty much. You know, market value. You could say. What do you think, Connor? Uh, I got. I'll take Nirvana for evolving, staying relevant, uh, not selling out, and then I'll take a uh, whole Courtney Love's band oh, for yeah. selling out. Yeah, because no, that's well, totally parallel to his. Yeah. Well, exactly. What do you What do you feel about that? Like, what was the album? Um, Live through what was this. the celebrity? What was the Live Through This? Live Through This that came out. What? How? A month or whatever after, after he died. Death. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that was obviously for record sales the way that was released? Just I mean, it was supposed her. to be called that before he died, and there's on asking for it. There's the lyric "Live through this," yeah. But um, I mean, if she knew he was gonna die, yeah. That's if you want to get into that, yeah, then it nice could have been planned. <laughs> but it's gonna be like a fucking. Well, in a perfect world. You know, we would love to believe that Kurt Cobain was not suicidal and it was Courtney Love, in which case this would be the ultimate form of selling out for her. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, but like Nirvana, you know, like they started off as like down and dirty, like local band yeah. on Bleach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they went up to the big leagues, big leagues with Nevermind, but they were, you know, I don't think anybody who bought, like, like there was some people. Kirk Cobain felt a certain way about maybe never mind they sold out but um I mean I don't think anybody who bought Bleach bought Nevermind and was like fuck Nirvana. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the thing is they always stayed true to their image. Like yeah. they, like if yeah. you would have saw Nirvana, you know, in like 1989-1990 then you saw them on the Nevermind tour they were the same band. Yeah. yeah. It was just on a bigger stage. And then even if they did sell out a little bit on Nevermind, uh, in Utero they, and Incesticide, they totally backtracked oh, yeah. on well, what's interesting is, less dude, mainstream. It's almost like with Nevermind coming out, there wasn't even um, you know a fan base to sell out to. Like there wasn't no, even yeah. already a steady level of pop culture for Nirvana to release Nevermind on the basis of like what it was gonna do for the radio and music fans. They released that album and Nirvana like I mean obviously Kurt Cobain came out and was like not disgusted, but he was upset about the way it was perceived of being such a huge 
yeah. like influence on music. And that's the cool thing about In Utero because I love In Utero. Yeah. In Utero is like my personal favorite when we Same. go back and talk about personals and best. Like Nirvana, like never mind's their best album. I'm going to show it to people if I'm going to try to get them in the. Yeah. Nirvana. If you want to get someone into Nirvana, you show, show them Nevermind. Never yeah, and if Bleach, they like Nevermind, then you give them In Utero. Yeah. I love yeah. Bleach. And then In Utero is because there's so many songs on it that are almost just like a fuck you to like popular music. Milk It. Well, the, yeah, they had a big squabble with their. They went to such lengths to not sell out on in utero and I make, know. as Kurt Cobain called, what could have been a Nevermind two, um, that they the record label and them were battling to put it out. Yeah. Um, the Steve Albini was the producer or engineer, as he likes to be called, and. Uh, there was controversy around all apologies, Penny Royalty, and Heart Shaped Box. Like well, the, the record me. label wanted them remixed. Well, what about Rate Me? Well, Rate Me was its own controversy because of the lyrics. Yeah, it was supposed yeah. to be a single. Like I mean, it was supposed to, like it, well, it was a single. It yeah, was a double was, A side with yeah, um, all apologies. But what was the lyric they changed it to on the radio? Uh, they didn't change it on the radio, but on the on the Kmart. And Walmart versions of In Utero, it said "Wafe Me" on the back <laughs> in, instead of <laughs> instead of "Rape Me." And and the, the collage on the back with the fetuses and the dolls is yeah. like blurred to basically just being like Jesus it looks Christ, like uh, mosaics or something. The only way I feel like anyone could Adobe, say not mo- mosaics, yeah. yeah. The only way I feel like anyone could say that Nirvana had sold out would be if In Utero came out first. And yeah. Then, then never. That's mind. what I'm saying. Like never. There was no market. To yeah. Sell exactly. Out to. Like Nirvana just came out with Bleach. Nobody even fucking knew it. I mean, how many fans out there listened to Smells Like Teen Spirit and had no idea this band already had an LP released prior to that? Exactly. Most of them at, in '91. No, but yeah. I'm saying, like, you're talking about after that Christmas season when Nevermind blew up because it smells like Teen Spirit. That wasn't even supposed to be the single. Lithium was. Yeah. And that's what's crazy. That L- song smells like Teen Spirit got written in like. March or April of 91. They already had the DGC deal Mm -hmm. and Come As You Are, I think, came after that. Like, came Come As You Are was like April or May or June or something they wrote that. So, like, when they got signed in, like, late 90, early 91, they they showed the label, like, Lithium and In Bloom and, yeah, those two songs. I was like, we have songs that could probably get played on the radio. Oh, yeah. And then... They were they, right. They came. They came. They they made more. Yeah, I mean, Nirvana that, that were practicing whole, like twelve hours a day. Yeah, that yeah. whole album five days is a week. Just singles. Well, yeah. Like, honestly, been, yeah. yeah, literally. What I feel like would you know what made Nirvana so popular for the radio is the fact that you're able to follow their music. Like yeah. you, you know what I mean? It's not like something you have to sit down and have like a long Pythian discussion with yourself to understand the fucking song. Yeah. It's just there. And it yeah. appealed to a culture. It's, exactly. And it's yeah. easy. You know, you hear it, the way I always say it is a, a band is doing their job if you can sit there and hum it back to yourself after hearing it once. Yep. You could do that with every song that yep. Nirvana has put out. Yep. His whole thing was he just wanted to write songs you would like. Exactly. And he kept doing that. Yep. And, you know, it, it It even goes back to like the whole like uh, like the songs were like simple Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, the guitar parts were intricate, but the songwriting itself, songwriting, the, the guitar parts are like tricky. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
But I they're, mean, they're, they're simple, simple enough. They're simple. It's the same thing with like yeah. Metallica, like playing yeah. guitar. Like you can play Metallica songs. I mean, they're very simple, but it's just the structure of the songs itself. I mean, when you write that, you know, chorus, first chorus, first type, you know, mm-hmm. rip, and you get it to a catchy atmosphere where people are able to like catch on to, like you said, with the humming aspect of exactly. it. Exactly. But again, it's just with the sellout thing, you couldn't even say Nirvana was doing that because you think of other bands that were evolving in a sense and then releasing albums based on the change of pace of the way music was going. Yeah. There was no more market already established like 10 it already came out you know what I mean? yeah. like 10 and it was wasn't already, doing that well and it Facelift wasn't was like out. it didn't create an image Bad and Nirvana, was yeah. Out. yeah sonic youth was already producing stuff like what yeah. Goo? they were trying to relate like kurt cobain just wanted to sell as much as goo yeah you know and there wasn't which really, had sold like two hundred and fifty thousand copies yeah, or something yeah. and <laughs> that's the thing yeah. you can't yeah you can't say that and euro sold, sold almost that in a week and i think so, unplugged yeah. sold more than that well, in its that first week yeah that unplugged yeah yeah. Um, but anyway, to hole the flip side yeah. of the selling out side of that coin. Um, hole started off in 90 or 91, I forget, with Pretty on the Inside, their yeah. first album. They have Celebrity Skin on it or something? No. Which one has Celebrity no, Skin? Celebrity Skin. That's Does, way yeah. later. That's um, like their, like. That's their sellout. Yeah. That's the beginning of their sellout phase. But, um,. Pretty on the inside could be compared to Bleach. It's like their raw, grungy debut. And then they got a major label deal with Nirvana's record label, whether it was due to the strength of Pretty on the inside or her relationship to Kurt Cobain is for neither here nor there. But anyway, <coughs> then they do live through this, which could be compared to Never mind. It was their breakthrough. It was good. It's their, you know, it's the album you yeah. would show anyone yeah. who's maybe interested in whole. You would show them that album first. But then in the next four years, they took a break and reconvened in 1998 with Celebrity Skin, which go. had like the single Celebrity Skin, it had That's Malibu, good. Awful. Uh, yeah, those are the hits. And um, not nearly as good. Like no. it's it's kind of like they traded in like alternative rock for like power pop or something. Let me yeah. ask you this: uh, you know, scene like aside, do you like live through this? Yeah, because I remember when you first showed me like Jennifer's body. That's what really got yeah. me into whole to begin with, because it was more than live just, through this. Because I remember hearing celebrity skin and not knowing who the fuck this was. Now, obviously, yeah. as I got a little older and I realized the whole Kurt Cobain, Courtney Love, finding out about Hole, and then hearing like Jennifer's body and even doll parts and things like that. I mean, there's some good songs on live through this and. Well, that was when she was hanging out with Kurt Cobain all day, every day. And when she made Celebrity Skin, she was hanging out with fucking Billy Corgan all day. And then when she made Nobody's Daughter in 2012 or whatever, which is even worse, she was hanging out with probably just herself all day. (laughs) Yeah, like a bundle full of dope. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's like, it's sad because live through this even if she, like she maybe didn't write the music which she probably did um but there is like some controversy amongst that with uh nirvana fans whole fans yada yada but um lived through this has good vocal performance good songs like it's it's rare you hear a girl like belting out like that yeah that's true and uh it's sad because if they could have kept along that path, like she could have been like kind of like counter to like PJ Harvey, like more of like a badass. But um, she didn't. She went. She tried to do the whole popper out thing. She tried to. I don't know. She had the solo album in like two thousand one, 
or two, which was like really terrible. Well, I feel America's like the problem sweetheart. with it too was is how she, you know, she put herself out there like beforehand, and now it's like, oh, I'm a totally different person now. You know? Well, yeah, she tried to. It, well, and she like in doing that, she made the mistake of like associating her good music with her bad self. Yeah, and then like her her bad music with her good self, and it's like, oh, you're you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Selling out. All right, Bill, what do you got for uh, selling out versus not selling out? All right, I'm going to do my sellout band first. I feel like probably one of the biggest examples of all time of a sellout band is Maroon Five. Are you joking? No, I'm that serious. You think of Maroon Five like you listen to like uh. So, what Backstreet is Boys songs about Jane, songs about Jane, this love and harder to breathe. Yeah, so you listen to oh, yeah. those songs, right? Take and like back. you could tell that there was a band there, and there was a band that wrote yeah. music together. Yeah, okay, I get where you're, where and, you're going now. Like uh, and now, it's just pop driven. Yeah, now, yeah. like, can you name any of the other members in Maroon Five besides Adam Levine? Negative. No, of course not. Exactly, but could you name can every you name mem- any members of Paul McCartney or Wings besides Paul McCartney? Well, no, but that's a different story. Paul McCartney. I mean, most people could name Linda McCartney, but well, Paul McCartney was the figurehead (laughs) of that band. Oh, so you're talking about prior, um, to like Adam Levine's like breaking out. You're talking about like Maroon Five was just known as Maroon Five. Exactly. Levine didn't separate himself. Exactly. It's weird too because if you think about Maroon Five, usually when you have like a breakout artist like that, they're still affiliated with band. Like you know, Freddie Mercury, huge star, but you still went and saw Queen. You know. You think about, um, you know, even like Judas Priest, like people aren't going to see Rob Halford. You thought about like Black Sabbath, people weren't going to see Ozzy Osbourne. People who go to see Maroon Five go to now see Adam go Levine. to see Adam Levine. But even in the musical, in the musical way, like if you listen to any of the songs from songs about Jane, yeah. you know, like Harder to Breathe. Like I, I think Harder to Breathe is a pretty good song. Like it's a it's a pretty catchy song. The the instrumentals are really good. Yeah. Like the band themselves, dude, is a good band. And I feel like on the next album, which had um, like Wake Up Call on it, like you could tell there was starting to exactly there was starting to be a change in the band, where like the rest of them were taking like a back seat, and after that, you know, then you have like moves like Jagger and Sugar, exactly, and there is you literally cannot find a similarity between you know like Animals or Sugar versus that first album. Yeah, I they think completely became a pop entity. Exactly, and, and I feel like I feel like that might be one of the biggest examples of selling out, like of all time. Yeah, but at yeah. the same time, their whole goal the whole time was to sell, and you can't really sell out if you're always sold in. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah, but you also think about it. Like I remember when I first heard Maroon Five, it was on um like B one hundred and one, like back before it was you know like a like a. I don't know, like the greatest hit station or whatever it was, where it was like uh, like an alternative, like mm. adult listening station. Not uh, Y100. That's not what you're thinking of. No, no not okay. Y100. It, it wasn't like mainstream rock, but it was like adult contemporary, whatever. And that's where I first heard them. And then it was like very soon after that, the next places you started to hear them was like Wired 96.5, Q102. That was also the time where label figureheads completely gave up on rock music. That's mid two thousands, like uh, I just read this article on like Alternative Nation or whatever online. That was I had a totally exaggerated headline, but it was saying like, "What is this audio slave member 
super mad and pissed about or whatever. <laughs> and it was just like they were talking about the first Audio Slave album. He was like, it should have sold 10 million copies, man, not three. Like, <laughs> like if it came out five years earlier, it would have sold 10 million copies. Oh, my God, easily. And uh, Tom Morello was like, yeah, and if it came out a year later, it would have sold zero copies. So, I mean, yeah. just got to be happy with we we <laughs> caught the end of it and sad for those who didn't for the artist that i'm going to choose that evolved yeah. with the times was eminem all right okay like you, you watch yeah i was just gonna say that like well, downslope he had well, which downslope uh well yeah but in that sense too he was still the same eminem he, yeah but he hadn't evolved he kind of tried to regress back to like a slim shady type yeah persona. almost yeah like weird and not as you know controversial with his lyric content as opposed to, I, now let me ask you a question because did you like kamikaze i i really enjoy kamikaze what do you I, feel about the album cover though what the license to ill rip yeah i i thought it was funny that i thought was cool. it was a, i thought it was a nice nod considering the fact that the beastie boys were a major influence of eminem i just don't like that it wasn't immediately put out there for people that didn't know it because of the first thing people were trying to rip on eminem about was like yo he stole that from the beastie boys what do you that. feel about the huge slump like you know 2002 the eminem show comes out yeah right then after that you got encore in 04 you know you got relapse in 09 you got recovery 2010 2013 the marshall matters lp2 which people were dying for just because of the title and it was like supposed to be the comeback album but then it wasn't until like revival you know, Eminem started coming back. But re- I heard Revival. I didn't even listen to it. I wasn't I a giant was fan terrible. of Revival. Yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, well, just, th- this is the thing. I all right. I mean, I that's feel like River, dude, was you know with Ed Sheeran. Everybody yeah. was like, but that is again. That's like you have to understand. Eminem's not writing Marshall Mathers LP quality music, Slim Shady LP quality music, like the song River featuring Ed Sheeran. Then he's got Walk on Water. Who did that feature? Yeah, Beyonce. Exactly. You know, it's just... <sighs> well, the thing is, you, you think about the progression from Eminem's show on. Yeah. His raps weren't so... Or his music so much wasn't in your face anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't, like, crazy in your face. And you could see that he was slowly starting to taper off of that to the point where it was just, like, flatlined. Artist in history become to have eight entries in a row debut at the top of the Billboard chart. Yeah. Mm. And there was a reason for it. Never gonna discredit that. I love Eminem. I absolutely love the Marshall Mathers LP. I feel like the only slump that you could possibly say is revival. No way. Ha, what other slump would you consider? Dude, after after Eminem show. What encore? Yeah, encore was a slump and relapse. I can't That's, stand he wasn't at the top encore, of his dude. game. Yeah, but you all see, he didn't sell out. Dude, well, with recovery, he kind of sold out. He started bringing in like pop singers for choruses all the time. Yeah, but he even had that, that on the Eminem show, like Superman, Drug yeah, Ballad. Yeah, he was bringing in rappers yeah, was, that were part yeah. of his, like you know, like, you got to figure like D twelve. He wasn't bringing in Rihanna right and Britney Spears or whoever the hell. Like, yeah, you know. that's true. I mean, I don't know. I well, that it also goes into like the record label and everything too. Like they wanted a single to put out, and yeah. let's put Rihanna on this song. Yeah, but that's the fucked up part. You know what I mean? That's like when you start wondering, I mean, again, with the idea of artists making you know, music for the people, for themselves, for the art itself, or they're making you know, music for you know, the money. And to stay relevant sometimes, that's what you see. You see artists that were in the spotlight that are losing it, that'll come back and put artists on their tracks that are conveniently like in the spotlight to kind of gain more credibility. Like, listen to my song, Ed Sheeran's on it. And at that point, 
when Revival comes out. Ed Sheeran was Ed Sheeran was doing excellent. You yeah, know what I mean? He had a couple true. songs that were out there that were absolutely like people were loving it. Yeah. And that appealed to a different like whole culture of people that now you get to see Eminem and Ed Sheeran teaming up on a song, you're gonna be like, I'm fucking listening to it. Like I heard Walk on Water, fucking hate that song. Yeah, but I feel like if you were able to say that Eminem sold out would be every it, song he had would have a singer like that. It is cool though on Kamikaze he went back a little bit that's, to his old style where he didn't have Beyonce. Yeah, and, that's what I'm and talking Rihanna. about. He had like he Jesse had, Reyes on two yeah. tracks. Yeah, she's like lesser known. So that's what I could say. Like when we're talking the idea of like you want to say evolve, I could agree with that with the idea of way Kamikaze came out. You know what I mean? It's okay. the same thing with Metallica going to Death Magnetic after Saint Anger. You know, and then it's also, too, you have to understand that slump period, dude, I'm going to say started with Encore. And then he was kind of like in this rocky road, like releasing something <laughs> okay, decent, bad, horrible shit. It was just all over. And then Kamikaze comes out and it's just like. like you can yeah, but I even feel like again. Relapse and Recovery were pretty good albums, too. I, I mean, Marshall Mathers LP was, too, was. Well, I wasn't a huge fan, but it was a step up and like I said Kamikaze well actually seen. have you ever listened to Relapse like the whole thing yeah it's not bad it's, but that's what I'm saying it's, like, not, it was just this rocky it's not road. as good as oh no no it's definitely not but it's definitely he, he it, it's it like a throwback like it was a continuing yeah it wasn't maybe I'm just the minority with this dude but I really like do you Relapse. like Encore there's select songs off of Encore. But do you like the album? Isn't it just select songs off of Relapse, too? Or do you like to listen to all Relapse? Like you do Eminem Show and Marshall Matters. Because you have to understand, it goes beyond right I listen to more. LP. I listen to more songs on Relapse than I skip. Like 3AM, My Mom, Bagpipes from Baghdad, mm-hmm. We Made You, Stay Wide Awake, It Must Be we the Ganja. You. Yeah, We Made You's funny. I, I'd like to listen to it. I think, I think it's a throwback to like songs like... Real Slim Shady or My Name yeah, is. So yeah, guess. but it's not nearly as okay. good, and you can just listen to those songs. All right, so what's the final verdict? Sellout or Evolution? Connor. Do you feel like he evolved, or did you feel like he sold out? I feel like his evolution has definitely been, been influenced by monetary forces, the label, whatever you want to call to it. To stay relevant, you think? Uh, yeah, to stay relevant. And, but you don't and, feel like and he, if he was just a dude. Out who say he had like a normal job was getting by had time to record music on it for himself or whatever like i don't think the music he would be making or aspiring to make would sound anything close to what he's making now so you wouldn't say 100 percent sellout i would say at he's leaning more towards sold out than didn't sell out but he's not the worst He's not like Yeah, it's almost not, like you couldn't even It's not the worst like yeah. he's had flashes of countering that. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah, a de- it's I like a, when we say de-evolve, it's almost yeah, he put himself out there and the type of music he was putting out and everything that you were listening to, you had an idea of Eminem and then like I said after you know, Encore well to start with Encore and then that whole path leading up to Kamikaze and like when I listened to Kamikaze, I did get that feeling of evolution from him as an artist. Because here he is releasing more music, and there were some songs that are relevant to older Eminem. Yeah. You know, 100%. what I was accustomed to in the 90s. And Kamikaze kind of gave me that feeling again. And it was just almost like that nostalgia kicked in, and I was really able to enjoy it. And it, compared to what happened between Encore and Revival, it was a definite 
evolution in a sense. Because again, when I say slump, and I keep saying this, it's like a rocky road. Like all those albums had some good songs on them, but he just couldn't find that absolute concrete. Like this is my thing now. This is where I'm going back to. And he obviously can't keep releasing music like he did off the Slim Shady LP, Marshall Mathers LP. Even with Eminem show, I mean, there was a lot of stuff related to politics. Obviously, during the Bush administration, that's what he was kind of like using as his controversial lyrical content for most of his songs. But again, yeah, I agree with the evolution aspect, but towards Kamikaze. I just won't agree that, obviously, like I said, Revival had some artists on there that had to appeal to current fans of you know artists that were relevant at that point in time, Ed Sheeran, and Beyonce, etc. So do um, you think 100% sellout or no? No, I, don't, I can't say 100% sellout because Eminem has always been you know kind of just in the media for you know controversial bullshit about his personal life, but he's never been out there as being like a total, you know bandwagon fan for any artist and trying to support something and be on albums and try to kind of put himself out there as a feature artist and never was like looking at it for the money aspect um but again kamikaze i felt like it was more of an effort not just to make money but for him to like kind of stay in the music scene because i like eminem in the music scene oh 100 you know I mean? and i think that was good for him and i i dude i'll, I'll never say that he could he, he just never sold out i can't agree with that i will never say he totally sold out but yeah i will say after encore it was definitely a hazy period for uh mr mathers all right well what do you got now so this is obviously a genre this is obviously a genre connor's not too familiar with uh huge death metal fan so the band that i'm going to say that actually uh absolutely evolved stayed you know true to their content um the band's monstrosity they're a Tampa, you know, death metal band. They came up in that Florida scene with a they lot of other Tampa. artists and the artists. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the only thing you're going to be able that's to relate to. That's the band. I probably went to fucking middle yeah, school dude. with these motherfuckers. <laughs> probably did, bro. That's so, the band that George Corpse Grinder Fisher from Canada. Yeah, he was actually from. like one of the, yeah, he was the first vocalist in 92 uh, when they released Imperial Doom. Um, again, part of that Tampa scene, you had bands like Morbid Angel coming out. You know, you had bands like Death. You had the Absence. Were Morbid Angel from Florida? Huh? We're Morbid Angel from Florida? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. These are all my, Florida bands. Obituary, Morbid Angel, Death. Death. My, sis, my sister's ex's brother. That's a, okay. Um, knew a dude from Morbid Angel. Pete Sando. And he lived in Florida, David so that makes sense. Which one? Oh. I don't fucking remember. Figure they they didn't know each other in person. They met on some fucking game online. Oh, that's funny. And uh, he more didn't more believe, the, the brother didn't believe that this dude was really a Morbid Angel. And he was like, all right, if you're a more, he's like, all right, so you'll believe me on our next album. I'll thank you on your gamer tag or whatever. Oh, wow. album. And, and he said he did it. That's pretty Ain't cool. That's some shit. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, with the evolution aspect, um, the reason why I'm bringing this up, uh, again, being like a fan of the genre, Monstrosity released an album last year. It's called The Passage of Existence. Um, and they were really big with Corpse Grinder for the first two albums. He left after the second album, which is Millennium. Millennium comes out in 96, right? And it, it Really, the way I found it is because I started listening to a lot of technical death metal that came out in the mid-90s, like Death was releasing Human, um, yep. Cynic had the album Focus. Uh, There's a lot of really good tech death that was going on out there, and when Millennium was released, that is hailed as one of the most influential technical death metal uh, like albums. The musicianship, the instrumentals are just so intricate. The structure of the writing, the vocal content from Corpse Grinder, everything is just solid. And then, you know, they continue to progress, 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 and then Passage of Existence comes out, and it's, dude, that album, I will honestly say, compared to, like, there were some other albums released by, like, Behemoth, uh, Deicide released an album last year, Skeleton Witch, um, there's a lot of good metal albums that were released in 2018, but The Passage of Existence by Monstrosity is, like, my all-time favorite, front to back, the musicianship is so excellent 
Um, the way they stay, like that album, if that had came out in like 96 itself, it would be an absolute staple in that genre. And it's a shame because the death metal scene doesn't get a lot of notoriety except from like the underground fans. But dude, that album itself is just so good, man. Like it's just, it's very, very good. Um, so I'm going to leave that there. Are you a fan? I can't say I'm a fan. Yeah. I know I know select songs. I know a little yeah. bit about the band, but I'm not like. See, that's the one thing I'm going to bring to this band. is because I absolutely love a lot of underground yeah. metal. I love a lot of death metal. I love a lot of thrash. Um, but here we go. This is the sellout artist. Okay. Because this one, both of you can kind of get down with. Okay. And I'm putting it out there. Megadeth is my sellout artist. I agree. Okay. Cause here, here's the thing with Megadeth, right? So Megadeth obviously is following in the trend of like Metallica writing these good albums, you know, Peace Cells, absolutely love it. Rust of Peace, absolutely love it. Countdown to Extinction is like their black album, not a fucking fan. Um, and then they keep going on and like Dystopia comes out, which is their recent, you know, new album of new songs, right? Yeah. I, I believe that was the last album I, to feature Chris Broderick on I, guitar. And I didn't like it. And I feel like Megadeth is just now constantly writing music. Dave Mustaine obviously has an ego. Don't get me wrong, the guy backs it up with great, great guitar work. I'll never just, you know, I'll never not say that. But again, here's the thing that really bothers me with older musicians that are trying to stay relevant and then the money aspect. Megadeth had just recently released March 22nd, 2019. It's considered what they say an anthology album, which essentially is a compilation of remasters and older songs. The How many songs? 35 songs, dude. Literally 35 songs. And it, it bothers me because, again, it's all tracks from Killing Is My Business leading up to Dystopia. And Dave Mustaine is coming out to say, 35 years ago, I chose the name Megadeth for my band, and I see these songs as the most efficient weapons in the band's arsenal. You know, like it's just it's just so goddamn annoying, dude, because I appreciate when bands get older, but then they go out and make their money through touring. Yes. Until they just can't anymore. Like, for instance, Slayer. Seen this Slayer is... last year. Seen Slayer this year. I get that they released a couple albums. You know, obviously, I had new guitarists after Jeff Hanneman died. Uh, World, World Painted Red, and then obviously Repentless. I, I like Repentless. Not a huge fan. World Painted Blood. But I would like to see artists come to the point where you stop making music and you just go out there and tour and really keep yourself for the fan base that like of the people that love you, yeah. the people that really listen to you. Because then you start releasing more and more songs and you're just like getting like what the fuck. And then you do shit like this where you release this anthology. Let's just call it a compilation, dude. It's Thirty-five tracks of all music. There's no goddamn originals on it, and people are gonna fucking buy. Well, it. it's a compilation. It's Dude. the first compilation by Megadeth to not the Listen, new uh, Wikipedia page. Listen, it's fucking 2019. If I want to make a compilation, I can download 35 songs of Megadeth's work and just make a fucking mixtape on my goddamn phone. I feel like this could end the Megadeth first Metallica debate. How so? Metallica hasn't released an anthology. This is true. Ooh. Yeah. All right, well, keep it re relevant to Megadeth. So what I'm saying is with Megadeth coming out, and you, I agree with you, like, Metallica never released that compilation, that anthology, you know, setup. I mean, SNM was cool because SNM was essentially a compilation, but it was a live recorded show. Yeah, it was, just, it was a the, project. It was, it was, it was so, different. And that's cool, but you get to hear all these songs an and you get to hear them yes. in a different way. Yep. Why the fuck would I buy a 35 song? I, I keep saying it. Why would I buy a 35 song album of all songs that 
remastered, 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 remastered. From like, I get it. It's a chronological history. It's an anthology leading up all the way dude, to dystopia. It's a greatest hits. But dude, it's so annoying. What's well, the problem? I feel like it's they should annoying. just call because it a greatest hits. The way they hype hits. it up, dude. You have to understand. I'm on fucking you know Apple Music and all these things, getting these like notifications about Megadeth releasing you know a new album, and that's all you get generically. And it's a fucking anthology, dude. What the? Fuck? It happens just, all the time. That's right. where the sellout aspect comes in, dude. You're this goddamn thrash band who literally made a band out of spite, and you're going to say, these songs are the most effective weapons in my arsenal. Like, dude, shut up. Shut up. Like, I just I go out there and tour. You know, if you want to write originals, I'm cool with it. Keep dropping music. I'm not a fan of newer stuff, usually by certain artists that were very good in the 80s. But I would rather see you go out there and tour and focus more on the, you know, show you're going to provide to the people. Like, right. Slayer puts on a good show. Megadeth, not so good when they're live. All right, Connor. Um, sellout or not a sellout, Megadeth? Uh, probably sellout. I don't really know enough about Megadeth, but, I mean, just based on what it seems like they're not as true to themselves as Anthrax or Slayer, yep. and Megadeth and Metallica are kind of more in the sellout camp. Yep. I, I think I'm going to have to agree with that one. As much as I would love to stick up for Dave Mustaine. All right. So anyways, guys, we uh, recommended to watch the Foo Fighters back and forth last week. Me and Connor had already seen this movie years ago when it came out. And we rewatched it recently. Steve had just watched it this mm-hmm. previous week. For those of you out there that haven't seen the movie, Back and Forth is a documentary about the Foo Fighters starting from... Probably in the middle of Nirvana's um, Nirvana's popularity, mm-hmm. all the way until the recording and release of their 2011 album "Wasting Light." What I like about this movie is that it it puts it into perspective that these are like real people. You know what I mean? Like you see the emotions. You see, you know, like William Goldsmith when he when he's recollecting that Dave Grohl re-recorded all of his drum parts. Yeah. Like, you know, you see that there's real people Poor behind guy. this music, and it's not just, you know, some commercial, you know, machine. 90s Pete Best. <laughs> I just think, I would think it was an outstanding documentary. Like, I, I just thought, like, you know, they got details very right. They, it was a ton of footage, like you said. Over, Wait, you said you, you thought it was an outstanding documentary? I thought it was, oh, yeah. I thought you said it was. Okay. No, 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 no. No, I, I just thought it was extremely well done. They didn't leave anything out that i thought of you know i mean like they even showed dave when he was in queens of the stone age yeah um you know it i just thought it was extremely well written and very well put together yeah like i said again it's one of those things where you see certain bands and you just have an image um i mean again it doesn't really change my view on the songs you know that i don't like by you know Foo fighters but it does give me a better understanding of and you say like the human aspect of it like that's the thing a lot of people forget i mean a lot of these artists i mean you hear an album and it may be 40 minutes long and you listen to it front to back and it's like over for you but you don't realize the amount of effort and arguments and tension and passion that goes into some of these fucking albums and what these people go through in order to do this and then also too with record labels and you worry about the producer and you're making sure that it's getting mixed properly and then you're playing certain parts and everything's got to fit and then also you know the relationships amongst band members because yeah. you get some band members and most of bands aren't like fucking childhood friends that grew up since they were fucking five years old exactly you know, eventually when you evolve in a musicianship sense you start putting people in your band because of their talent yeah yep. sometimes it doesn't fucking work out and then yeah. you know it's just 
it's crazy how that works sometimes. But again, you get to really see that like human aspect of like some of the things that they went through and. Yeah, it does make you appreciate the music better. It makes you, because I, I try to look at a different light when you see some of the music and you hear some things, you don't realize how many hours and how much effort goes into it. Um, I feel like for what it is, I feel like for what it is, the movie, I would give it, I would easily give it eight and a half, nine stars out of ten. Yeah, I was thinking eight stars, nine stars. Yeah. I feel like that's extremely fair. 7.5. Seven, why Why 7.5? Because, again, it's just one of those things where I can't put it so high up because... It was a Foo Fighters it, sanctioned... Yeah, dude. Yeah. I, that's the thing. You're I'm getting, not a fucking... You're getting the surface of the conflict, but it this way, it's dude. all the Dave Grohl sanctioned version You're going to get personalities from the three of us. Like I said, Foo Fighters, I like them. Don't love them. Now, here's the thing. Had it been a documentary in this sense about, let's say, The Doors or, like, Death... You know, like bands that I'm already super accustomed to and like so excited to see like the mm. inner workings of them, then it'd be a different story. And that's where the biased opinion comes in. Don't get me wrong. Like I fuck with the Foo Fighters. But again, I give it a 7.5 because it was excellent, but I lost that personal touch. You know, it's okay. almost like when you listen to something that you absolutely love and somebody else hates and you just don't fucking get it. You know, like so when anybody else like could say this is like a brilliant, 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 great well done you know film excellent rockumentary but the band itself i didn't have that real connection to to enjoy it in a different way but yeah i mean 7.5 dude if i give something anything higher than a five consider it like worthy that's how i view my opinion on shit like that okay i mean i think we're all kind of in the ballpark i mean 7.5 to 9 what's the average there eight well it got yeah it got 96 for the audience score on rotten tomatoes there's no real reviews yeah, of no, it like, solid critic reviews it doesn't even have like certified fresh or rotten or until anything. now before we jump into the uh suggestions of this week mm -hmm. by any chance did you catch the post credit scene what back and forth there's a post there's a little post credit scene at the i didn't fucking catch that yeah at the end of the credits dave Grohl comes back on like you know during the interview thing yeah. He's like, uh, if I would have knew this band would have been so fucking big, I wouldn't have chose such a stupid fucking name. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> perfect, dude. That's, yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, so we're going to roll into our uh, our personal suggestions of this week. So uh, what do you got for us, Steve? So my suggestion of the week, I um, mentioned this band a couple weeks ago. Uh, Monomarth. Uh, I'm going to keep bringing this up because they are releasing the new album, May 3rd. It's called Berserker. They just released a second music video as well as a second single from the album. Uh, the first song was called Raven's Flight, and then there's a continuation music video. The song, the new song that just was released, it's called Crack the Sky. Again, I keep mentioning this because I do like Amon Amorth. I like their older stuff, and they are releasing a new album, so I try to like listen to older metal bands that are trying to stay in the scene, especially when I'm going to see them live, because that's another thing. I hate seeing a band live where they just came out with new music, and I don't fucking know the songs. Yeah, I like exactly listening to them, because sometimes you feel it, and then you want to go back, and like, what song was that? You know. And yep. But I want to get into this, and um, I said the album comes out May 3rd. I'm not a huge fan of the two songs that drop. I think they're going more to like a metalcore, um, you know, just poppier sound of metal like more leaving their viking roots behind the, dude the vocals the, the lyrical content still all you know asgard and fucking you know Thor oh, well, that's and, cool you know they still keep that style but the yeah like i said the instrumental aspect of it it's very just mainstream in their sense but i mean it's it's enjoyable um i'm not a huge fan but again the album is called berserker the new song that just was released is called crack the sky the album comes out may 3rd nice what do you got for us connor 
Okay, I'm taking the guest second album, Popular Music, from February 2018. They're a local Philly band. Um, they came out with the Red Scare 16 EP in 16, then the Red Scare LP in 17, and then the Popular Music LP in 2018. Um, they're a great band. I've seen them live a couple times. Um, the key tracks I'll take if you want to check them out real quick are... Flotsam and Jetsam, Serpentine, and Watching the War. Nice. Okay. What do you got, Bill? Bill? This week I have a couple uh, couple suggestions. Um, the first one is a local New Jersey band called Prevailer. They just released a music video called Inversion. Um, we actually have a, all of us have a mutual friend in this band. Uh, he's the bass player. Yeah, yeah, Corbin. Corbin. Wanted me to give out a shout out for these guys in Prevailer. So yeah, um, song's called Inversion. Check it out on YouTube. Music video looks really cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, you just showed it to me a little while ago. Yeah, it's actually really well done. I'm impressed. Especially Corbin, you know, knowing him in high school, it's cool seeing, you know, people you know and grew up with, like, really doing some shit that's actually quality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The next thing that I have is my personal suggestion, and it is... Um, the 2018 album from Ben Rector called Magic. Um, ben Rector is singer-songwriter. Um, my wife actually got me into him. Uh, we danced to our first dance at our wedding was one of his songs. I never thought I'd listen to singer-songwriters. It's not really my bag. But this album is actually really good. It, um, it almost has like an 80s pop type feel where it's it's almost like you could exchange this dude out for like Phil Collins and like it would make sense. <laughs> like I really like Phil Collins. I love the 80s. I think I love everything about the 80s. And um this album kind of hits home. And uh yeah, that's it. Ben Rector's Magic. Gotcha. Okay. So we got the uh group suggestion suggestion for next week, Pearl Jam 20. For those of you who don't know, uh, PJ20, Pearl Jam 20, is another rockumentary about, you guessed it, Pearl Jam. It's on the 20, it was from, also from 2011, like back and forth. Um, yep. It was the first 20 years of Pearl Jam's career from 10 to 20. Well, it actually yeah. shows, um, in the beginning too, with like Mother Love Bone, and it ties in with Soundgarden. Yeah. All the way up until. Temple of the Dog. Yeah, Temple of the yeah. Dog. All yeah, the way the until too, the release but, of Lightning Bolt, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Well, you yeah. mentioned oh, no, um, I think it was like Backspacer. Backspacer. Okay. It was like after Backspacer. Did was you like out, Backspacer? There's a couple good songs on it. That's their last one, I would say. I don't know. I didn't get Lightning Bolt because I didn't like the singles off it. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here. Megadeth are sellouts. <laughs> Eminem is not 100%. Whole sellout. Duh. 100%. <laughs> Foo Fighters back and forth for season 80-ish percent yes. on our score-o-meter. Yeah. <laughs> this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the night. I'm Bill. Connor. Steve. Thank you for your continued support. Check in next Monday for a new episode. Have a good night, guys.